In 2019, Washington State became the first in the country to allow natural burials. That is, no coffin and no embalming. Families now have the option to turn their loved ones into nutrient-rich soil and to be returned to the earth. Nonprofit Herland Forest in Klickitat, Washington, performed the first burial of this type in 2020. On this episode, I speak with Walt Patrick. This is Times Like Now. Hello, Walt Patrick. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, it's very nice to talk with you today. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Tell me about the Herland community, about the Herland Forest and the, the natural burial cemetery that you have there. How did this come about? Well, Herland Forest is a, uh, an associated uh, nonprofit with a larger nonprofit, the 501c3, that uh, is focused on uh, studying uh, sustainability issues, long-term sustainability. And our mission is to demonstrate how to feed, fuel, and clothe people on marginal land. And uh, we've been doing this. I've been here for 34 years. And most of the people that I've worked with in that time have passed on, and it's just an ongoing process. In Washington state, a person may not be buried on their own land, which is very sad. If you've put your heart and your soul into developing a property uh, and you can't put your body there when the time comes, then that's a a disassociation that is hurtful. And so uh, the only way in Washington state that you can be buried on your own property uh, is through natural organic reduction. And so we've been burying or, or either natural organic reduction or becoming a licensed cemetery. So that was the route we took first off, uh, becoming a licensed cemetery. And so that's Herland Forest. Uh, and we do totally uh, focused on taking uh, natural burial, uh, leveling up, going to the next level of helping people transform back into the biosphere. Uh, natural burial in its own sense is about not embalming not having rainforest lumber put into a casket. It's not about having a concrete vault with all the uh, energy that that involves. It's just putting a body in the ground. Uh, It's an ancient technique. It's how uh, traditional Jewish uh, faith people will do it. Uh, Muslims often use this. So it's a routine sort of situation that people have gotten away from by getting caught up in the funeral industrial complex with all the money and the consumer issues there. And people who want to get away from that, they just want to go back to the land. Well, we take it so that they go back to the biosphere. So we do a number of things in a uh, interment to facilitate the body being transformed back into soil and then becoming part of the forest. Uh, So uh, being part of a, a... it's somewhat different in the sense that a garden is a different thing than a wild meadow. And so we are being buried in a wild forest uh, that we're slowly facilitating to become more diverse, more stable, uh, more productive. Uh, The name Herland refers to a book that was published in 1915 describing a utopian society where they were not relying on fossil fuel agriculture. They were relying on forestry. So the forest would provide their food and their fiber and their fuel. And those are the things that we're doing in our forest. And so we adopted the name for that reason. I see. And this became legal in the state of Washington in 2020. Is that correct? Uh, 2019 is when the law was passed. Uh, 2000, May of 2020 
is when the law became due. But the problem was, you know, the age of COVID, nothing goes uh, smoothly. And Washington State was in the process of revamping all of their licensing computer systems in the Department of Licensing. And with COVID, they were way behind schedule. So the licenses didn't actually become available until July of 2020. And Herland Forest was the first facility licensed to do natural organic reduction. And I became the first person licensed to be uh, to operate a natural organic reduction facility. And so we've been available to do that since um, early July. And what has been the response from the community? Now, you're in you're in Klickitat area. Yes. Which is and what has been the response from your neighbors and from the, the community at large? Well, the, the we've been doing, uh, you know, we, we were uh, committed to sustainable uh, ecology long before it was popular, etc. So our neighbors are fairly used to us doing eccentric things. And after, I understand. after you've been there 30 years, uh, you know, people develop a degree of trust and know that uh, you're, you're responsible, you're good neighbors, you're doing positive things. It's not like somebody coming in new and wanting to set up something and there are all the questions there. The other factor is that we have been doing natural organic reduction for over 30 years. Uh, because we're not a farm for the sake of selling anything, we raise key animal systems as part of our sustainability research. Uh, for example, we use goats and sheep and pigs and chickens and rabbits to convert things we don't want to eat into things we do want to eat. So we're not a farm for selling uh, stuff. We work in a partnership with these animals to sustain their lives and sustain our lives. And so we, uh, the, the ones that are good members of the team get to stay here throughout their life. And when they pass on, we go ahead and compost them. And so we've been composting large mammals for a long time. And I have this eccentric theory that humans are kind of a mammal. And so, you know, it, it, the bacteria don't care. It's, uh, there are issues of conforming to uh, the, the, the state legal standards. Uh, and there are some issues that are very important having to do with preserving and recognizing the dignity of the decedent. Uh, also the uh, separateness of the decedent. You can't commingle remains, for example. Uh, so there are details of, of adapting what is basically a traditional practice uh, to uh, fit within the framework of the state laws. Now, explain a little bit of the process. How does this uh, reduction process happen? Well, uh, the preferred way to do it, I believe, is to, we have a lot of clay in our soil. So when we dig a grave, we dig it by hand to very precise dimensions. And we lay down a bed of wood chips uh, that are, that's drawn from, from the forest itself. We're very much in a fire ecology here. So, pruning our forest and cleaning up the uh, the falling uh, branches off the trees, etc., or taking out the dead trees or whatever, is crucial to maintaining the fire safety of our forest. And so we take these materials and chip them up. And then we use the woody biomass, is what it's called, as a fuel source for our community. And so uh, working with wood chips uh, in the gardens, uh, uh, we use it as bedding underneath the rabbits, for example, so it, it, it's something we've been doing a lot of work with for a long time. And so we go ahead and put down the wood chips in the grave, lay the remains on the wood chips, add more wood chips into the grave, 
We also add uh, some tubing, uh, drainage tubing, uh, to get so we can bring water down to the bottom of the grave. Uh, and then we cap the, it off with dirt. So you have this containment uh, in the grave uh, where the body can be transformed into soil. Now, the, 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 the workhorse in that is the bacteria and the protozoa and the fungi that are involved. And they require oxygen and they require water. And so that's why we have these tubes going down into the grave so that we can add and control the water uh, and get the oxygen down there. The oxygen is important because the bacteria and the protozoa and the fungi, none of those uh, biological entities have any chloropaths. They can't make their own food. Uh, so they need oxygen in order to, to do their work. And so, uh, but it also is important because we want to convert the body to carbon dioxide, not to methane. When uh, organic matter is allowed to decompose out without oxygen around, it turns into methane. And methane is 20 times worse as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is plant food. The trees are happy to get it. Uh, but the, the methane is a problem. So we've been doing all of that in the ground for years. Now with the new one, we also do it above ground. Uh, so we have a, a vessel that we call a cradle. Uh, that allows us, uh, it goes on a track, that allows the cradle to roll back and forth. The cradle, if you think about it as a large spool of thread, only in the case the center part is, a, is, is rectangular, not round, but it has the big round wheels on both ends that allow us to roll it back and forth because making compost, you have to turn the compost pile. And in this case, it's all contained within the cradle. And so it tumbles around and that's how you get oxygen uh, worked into the mix so that the bacteria and stuff have, have what they need to do their job. You mentioned you've been burying animals there. How many humans have you done this process with there? We have, well, we use the term guardians because okay. it, it's a big deal for us to prepare, protect and the forest. Because if you, if you want to have a, if you're, uh, taking care of and improving a forest, it's going to become increasingly market value. And there's concern that if you're raising a market value down the road, somebody's going to want to come in, clear cut the forest and develop the property. And we want to make sure that does not happen. So by burying human remains in the forest and making the forest into a dedicated cemetery, then uh, development would actually be desecration at that point. So those people have given their their last act on this earth is to ensure that this beautiful piece of forest remains safe and secure and undeveloped. So we refer to those people as guardians. Understand. Uh, today, we just interred our 54th guardian. Wonderful. That is, that is fascinating. Um, so families of loved ones are, are coming there to, to have ceremony of some sort, are they, are they encouraged to, to bring, I don't know, a headstone or markers and, and how, what is involved with that? Well, uh, if you've ever seen the little two inch diameter markers that surveyors use to mark corners to property, every grave gets one of those and it, it lists the name and the, the, the contract number uh, and so on for that interment. So that, that is all on every grave, etc. Uh, and they're in the forest. They're not, uh, we're not a regimented cemetery where you have graves in a row. 
uh, we bury in the openings among the trees because the trees are in competition with each other for sunshine and water and space. Uh, so uh, they wind up with their uh, drip lines touching, creating this a little space in between the trees. And that's where people choose to, they, they wander the forest and they pick a spot that they like. And uh, that becomes their, their place in the forest. So it's not regimented. Uh, now we do have some people who have chosen to take a piece of natural stone, a flat piece of natural stone, and have their name sandblasted into it. Uh, and and they're, that's beautifully done. Uh, we don't do that. It, it's done by an artisan out of Vancouver. Uh, or anyway, you know, we, we don't don't care who, who does the work as long as it is uh, respectful of the forest and uh, does not uh, climb the eye. It's very hard to even see the graves in the forest uh, because uh, that's part of, again, they're, they're at random areas in effect uh, instead of being in a row. And you have to really look even to see them. That's fascinating. And you have a website that I've been looking around, and the website is very helpful and full of a lot of information about, about the process. Uh, feel free to announce that website. What, where can people find information about this? Herlandforest, all one word, dot org. Okay. And how many acres do you have there? We steward 126 acres. That is clustered, backed up against a thousands of acres of, of forest. We're on the edge of the Cascadian wilderness, uh, and it's the it's a transitional forest uh, because we're right at the point where the rain runs out. Uh, so west of us in our county, you have on the west end of our county, you have sixty inches of rain a year. On the eastern end of our county, you have six inches of rain a year. So you have rainforest in the west, highland uh, uh, desert in the east. We're at 26 inches, which is where ponderosa pine and Douglas fir and Oregon oak can all grow side by side. And so they form a north-south borderline. And we're right on that point, literally on the point where the transition occurs. So to have a cemetery where it's a, in a place of transition is just a perfect metaphor. No, this really is the ideal location for something like this. Do you have guests that come out and, I mean, can, can guests or families come out and, and meet you and see the land and, and learn more directly from you at the, at the location and see, you know, maybe pick out a place and, and, you know, I don't want to say, you know, walk the land, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, and, and we welcome visitors as long as, you know, they, they set up an appointment, et cetera, because we don't have a paid staff. And so, you know, people are coming out and, and assisting as an act of love, kind of like a, uh, a docent at a, at a museum or something. And so uh, we're happy to do that. If somebody will just you know send us an email and express their interest, we're happy to do that. Now, we are in a location where up above the wild Klickitat River. And so nobody comes here on their way through to anywhere. Uh, and so it's a very private place. Uh, you know, we don't have a gate or anything to keep people out. But uh, if, if somebody shows up and without us knowing who it is, we're going to have to stop what we're doing and go find them and, and, and find out what, what their interest is and see if we can help and so on. So, yes, we are certainly open and available, but we do ask that people make a reservation. Of course, that's only... only uh 
only natural, of course. This is really a, a as we said, a, a recycling of sorts, of returning to the earth, um, not exactly ashes to ashes, but a similar concept. What else do you do on that property there? Well, again, it's this issue of research. How do, how do people take a higher degree of control of their life without being part of the you know, international energy system? Uh, how can people develop uh, a degree of control over the materials that they eat, that they use uh, to take take control of their life to a greater degree? We don't ter- talk in terms of being self-sufficient, but we do talk in terms of being self-reliant uh, and how to preserve We live in a society that is incredibly wasteful and uh, how to salvage uh, much of that waste to create support for life. Over half of the food grown in this country goes into the landfill. And if you look at the amount of waste in clothing, and it's just boggling. And so how do we preserve the old skills and mesh them with new opportunities? Because some of the things old are still viable. Some of the new stuff is very handy. How can we create an effective, intelligent, uh, engaged synthesis of the, the past and the future to create a better present? Are you doing some of those things on that land? Are you gardening, farming? Absolutely. I, I, the first law of ecology is that you can't change just one thing. Uh, any material change in the system is going to affect the rest of the system. And so, yeah, we, we garden for table. Again, we don't do any of this stuff for sale. Uh, we do it to learn, to engage, to... F- our, our culture, for, our language has a vast number of agricultural metaphors. And, uh, you know, people say, well, don't be sheepish. Well, let me take you out and introduce you to our sheep. Uh, and they will talk to you about what it means to be a sheep. Uh, and then, again, yesterday we had uh, uh, one of our, our youths uh, presented us with two darling little uh, girl lambs. Uh, whereas other cemeteries have four-wheel drive lawnmowers, ours are four-legged. So <laughs> we have a different point of view on it. No, that's certainly a, a, a more uh, organic and more self-sustaining way of doing things. And I'm, I sure wish I could come visit you someday. Maybe, maybe someday I will. Now, you mentioned to me that you're creating a hospice-like situation. People are dying to come here. Oh, <laughs> Only one pun per show. Okay. That was it. Okay. <laughs> uh, you mentioned a, a death with dignity uh, element to what you're doing there. Um, I am familiar with that. And are you, you said you were building something on the property there for this? We have a, a cabin that is a two-story cabin. It's 22 feet on a side. And we are dedicating that to provide a place where people can leave hospice and go and spend their uh, last few days and make the, the change at their choosing. Uh, most hospice facilities will not allow you uh, to take the transition, uh, to, to take the medication that is involved in uh, taking your own life uh, at the hospice. Uh, and so they have to go somewhere. Uh, other areas, five out of seven people in the United States do not have access to death with dignity. And, uh, and so, you know, if you're in, in Idaho and you have a terminal diagnosis, you're stuck. You, you either suffer uh, through to the end or you move to Oregon or Washington or one of the states that allow death with dignity. And so we're committed to providing a resource 
where those people who feel trapped can manifest a way out. I'm very happy to hear what you're doing there, um, Walt. I, I think this is this is a good thing, and I hope this catches on in other other communities, other states. Is any of that happening, or or is any of that being moved in that direction in other states? Well, part of it is is that it's 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 a challenge to do this outside of the funeral industrial complex. Uh, we're exploring the intersection between death care and intentional community which allows us options to move away from having a, a dollar-based service uh, so that the people can express through their actions and their caring their values and uh, outside of the, the dollar context. I mean, there's always costs involved, but uh, to me, the money should not be the first thing. It should be uh, just a part of the mix, putting it together. So the, uh, the fact that we live here, this is our home. Uh, so we don't have to go out and get money in one place to rent a place in uh, a home in another. It's all one place for us. And so we do this and we stop what we're doing today and, and did that in internment. And then we went back to doing what we're doing. So it's it's a part of our life. It is not the, the almost the sole focus of the life. It certainly does not dominate our lives. Uh, each of us have our own visions and joys and we pursue them. And so having that whole context of putting together a community of support to do this work, uh, wow, you know, you're, you're talking about putting a lot of stuff together. We've been 30 some years in, in the making of this. Uh, so uh, copying it, uh, you know, our bylaws and our structure are all online. We encourage people to copy what we're doing if they want to do it in, in their state. We think that'd be wonderful. But is there any legislation similar to Washington's? in other states that you're aware of? Well, the death and dignity people are steadily pushing to get more areas. I believe Maine just, uh, one of the New England states uh, just had a, uh, a new law put through to allow death with dignity, et cetera. Uh, the development of uh, natural organic reduction in other states, uh, you know, one of the challenges of getting up and running is that uh, no one has done this before. And so it's very much a learning opportunity uh, as people sort through what works and what doesn't work. Uh, you may be familiar with the comment that the difference between theory and, and practice is that in theory, there's no difference. Uh, in practice, there's often a lot of differences. And so figuring that out as we go forward is the, phrase, the phase that everybody's in right now of figuring out how to do this. And then once that is all resolved, for example, if you want to do cremation, that's completely resolved. Everybody knows how to do it. They've got really quality manufacturers producing the crematory ovens and stuff. So it, it, it's just a matter if you want to do it, you know, pay the money, you know, get the permits and do it. This is different. This is a matter. This is cutting edge stuff. And as we're seeing and advancing, that's what makes it fun to us because we're getting to explore this and see how do we make it all work uh, in a way that honors the environment honors the decedent and is sustainable. What are some of the, some of the, the trees and the, and the fauna that is in your area there? I've been looking over your website. The pictures are, are stunning in fact. And what are some of the surroundings that people might see there? Well, we are, we chose this area, but we, we were in Southern Nevada for a decade and, and, Water is so intensely political there. We knew we had to relocate in order to be have confidence in our ability to do what we're doing. 
Uh, and so we looked around and we, we picked this point because it's transitional. So we're right on, uh, we're at 2000 feet in elevation on the slopes of Mount Adams. So Mount Adams goes from the high alpine forests all the way down to the Mediterranean uh, climate down along the Columbia River. And then we have the east-west uh, graduation with the rain. So there are more microclimates in around us here uh, than anywhere else I know of, short of maybe Hawaii. Uh, and so it, there's all kinds of stuff within a very short distance. What are some of the plans for Herland in the f- near future? What's on your near horizons? Anything happening new? Well, uh, developing we're uh, developing the uh, the issue of um, uh, love enduring. Uh, we found that over half of the people who've chosen to be buried in Herland Forest are married couples who want to be buried together, and we've developed a number of techniques to manifest in a physical way, that enduring love. Uh, and so, uh, for example, we had a couple come to us who wanted to be buried shoulder to shoulder. And we worked out a way to do that because you can't have that, you can't do that in any other cemetery that I'm aware of other than Herland Forest. And we have a technique that allows that, that goes in on our love on our website under, at the risk of breaking your one pun rule here, uh, two lovers together forever is the name of it. And so, that's the fun thing to see again, how can we help people manifest something of their own commitment in the face of being out of control? Nobody has control over the death. And so how can you still go forward in that and affirm what is of deep long-term value to you, your love for another person, your love for for nature, uh, your love for the animals uh, and how to manifest that as a way to take a little bit of the sting out of death. In so many ways, this is very new, but in so many ways, this is returning to an older, a very much older way of doing things. And I commend you on on your organization and what you're doing, and I hope we can get the word out and uh, let people know about what you're doing. I I think it's a great thing, and I want to thank you very much, Walt, for joining me. What's the website one more time and how to reach you? Herlandforest.org. H-E-R-L-A-N-D. Is there an email, maybe? Yeah, uh, herlandforest at gmail.com. Walt Patrick, thank you so much for your time once again. And uh, I hope to come visit the land one day, but I will email you first. I would love to come visit and and see your beautiful property there. Thank you. Bye-bye. Walt tells me that families can, in fact, bring family members and loved ones from out of state to Herland. Thank you for listening to another episode of Times Like Now. I'm Trevor Collins. I can be emailed trevor at timeslikenow.com. Original music by the letter J, Cody Robertson. Times Like Now can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Good night. <laughs>